0: bow with me in prayer before we begin heavenly father we just thank you for being a god that is perfect a god that is holy one that we can trust in all things you are never changing and we're so grateful for that lord when the world around us is so chaotic at times, it is so good to know that you are a firm foundation that we can stand upon, and I thank you for it. Lord, I pray that this morning uh, the lessons that we can learn from this, the life of this character would be um, helpful to us. Pray that you would open our eyes to see places that maybe we need changing in ourselves. And could you please begin, Lord, honing us and changing us so we could look more like your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So I thought it would be interesting this morning to uh, see if you could guess the character, the uh, hero of the Bible that I have chosen to, to teach about. Once you know who it is, just shout it out. Very good, Mary, right. We are so familiar with these pictures, aren't we? And it makes me think, um, I know Pastor Rob and Pastor Nick have recently been teaching on um, characters like Paul and Jacob and Jonah, and my guess is if we put their picture up on a slide, we would have no idea who they were. But Mary is so familiar to us, and there are a variety of reasons for that. But the main thing I want us to look at today is Mary's qualities, some of her attributes. And the reason why it's important to look at different people in Scripture is because God doesn't want us to remain stagnant in our faith. Someone once told me, if you're actually standing still and never moving forward in your walk with the Lord, you're actually going backwards, which is a really sobering thought. He wants us to be changed so we can look more like Jesus Christ, his son. And these attributes that we'll see in Mary are some of those things that we can begin to glean from and say, you know, Lord, I think I'm not very good at that. Could you change me, Father, so I could look more like your son, Jesus Christ? Well, the story of Mary begins in the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. So if you have your Bible with you, you may open up there. We'll look at verse 26. These stories are very common to us because we read them all the time at Christmas. Maybe you are in the habit of reading this scripture to your children around the Christmas season. So I'm not going to read all these verses, but just pick out a few things so we get an idea of who Mary was and what was her her place in life, life when this angel Gabriel came to her. We learn that she was from a town in Nazareth and she's betrothed to be married to a man named Joseph. The betrothal period in in Jewish custom was very similar to our engagement period. However, it was a bit more binding in that if you did not adhere to the sort of the, loyalties to your spouse, there could be incredibly severe consequences. Even though you weren't married yet, it was as though you were married during the betrothal period. It usually lasted about a year. We also know then about Mary, because she's betrothed to be married, that she's young. These women were given in marriage, it was arranged typically by a parent or a close relative, She's probably 12 to 15 years old. So we're talking about a really young girl. And the angel comes to her and says, You are highly favored. The Lord is with you. He goes on and he tells her that you are going to be the mother of the Messiah. You're to name him Jesus. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary asked this one question during this, th- all this information. She asked this one question. She says, well, how is this going to possibly happen? I am a virgin, and I am totally loyal to the man I'm about to marry. And the angel tells her that the Holy Spirit's going to come upon her. He's going to overshadow her, and she is going to become pregnant with the Son of God. Now, verse 38 states... Mary's reply, which to me is such an incredible reply. It's actually kind of stunning to me for a young woman like that who's just received this incredible information. For those of you who are planners like I am, I like to have kind of an idea of where I'm going in the next year. Like what what are we doing as a family? And what are my plans? And when might we travel? And if we're going to need a new car, when is that going to happen? I like to have it all planned out. And here Mary was, was so excited to get married. Well, I don't know if she was excited, but she was planning on getting married to Joseph. And maybe she had plans of how many children she was going to have, what house they were going to buy, where they'd live. And here God comes and says, that's not the way it's going to look for you at all. Actually, I'm going to completely transform your life because you are going to be the mother of the Messiah And so Mary responds, she says, I am the Lord's servant to me as you have said. Her reply was, I'm your vessel. Use me however you want to use me, Lord. I'm just a servant of yours. Whatever you have for me, please, please use me. And I wonder for myself, If God came and asked me to do something that was gonna cause me personal discomfort, would I obey? If God came to you and asked you to do something that wasn't in your plans, that was gonna be difficult, that was gonna be outside your comfort zone, what would be your response? Would you be obedient to the Lord? well we find out that right after um, Mary says that to the angel uh, she, the angel leaves her and she goes and she visits a close relative named Elizabeth and when she arrives at Elizabeth's house what we see in the next 8 verses is this outpouring from Mary this outpouring not of frustration not of not of all of her woes but an outpouring of scripture Mary begins by saying, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And it proceeds for six more verses, and all of these verses are paraphrased from the Old Testament. Mary knew Scripture. It's paraphrased from the book of Isaiah from Psalms, from 1 Samuel, Malachi, Genesis, and Job. So Mary is in this time of trouble, both of elation, I'm going to be the mother of the Messiah, and trepidation, because my guess is she had an understanding of the difficult road that was going to follow. She's she's returning to the one place that she knows that's a firm foundation, and that is her faith and the word That is God's truth for her. I can always return to God's promises. And so it makes me wonder when times are hard for you and I, when we feel absolutely overwhelmed by disappointment, where is your focus? Where is my focus? Is the first thing that we do when we're frustrated, I call my sister often, you're not gonna believe my day. This is so frustrating. But Mary, instead, she went right to the Lord. She dug deep into this well of of knowledge of God, and that's where she found her strength. And that's where God wants us to go when you and I are struggling. We shouldn't be going first to our moms. We shouldn't be first going to our spouses. We shouldn't be first becoming bitter and and bringing all this sort of dissension among friends and people and co-workers. God wants us to come to Him. And Mary shows us this so beautifully in this really difficult time of her life. She pours out her heart to the Lord, both magnifying His name and remembering her lowly state in all of this. He's actually using me to do something fabulous. He's equipping me, is what she's realizing. So in all of this, we obviously know that she knew her scripture. And interestingly, Mary was probably illiterate. She did not know how to read or write, is my guess. Because at that time, women were, were sort of second-class citizens and so probably she was not in school. And so that means that someone taught her these things. And Deuteronomy 11:19 tells us the importance of teaching our children the word of God. And so, parents and grandparents, how are we doing in that? Are you teaching your children God's word? It says in 1119 in Deuteronomy, it says, as you're walking by the side of the road, while you're sitting down for supper, while you're laying down and getting up, teach your children God's word. And I wonder how often we fail to do that because we're so busy doing other things i got to make this extra phone call or there's someone that I want to Facebook or whatever it may be, when God really wants us to be spending our time teaching our children God's word. So is there a daily devotional on your dinner table? It's a great time to do that over dinner. Hey, let's read a little scripture together. I have a couple questions for you. On your way to soccer practice, There are tons of CDs with scripture memory to to songs. Kids love them. And you will be amazed how many verses your children can learn. My kids stun me with these verses that are, you know, long. And I can't remember them. They know lots of them. And they can test you, too, at that. So someone taught Mary these things. And that's a great admonition for you and I as we raise our children. We need to be teaching our children God's word. So when they get to a place in their life that's really disappointing, really difficult, they can dig deep into that well and remember, I have a mighty God, a God whose promises are true. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm, on and on and on, all the truths of the Lord that we can remember well, the other thing that amazes me about Mary that we learn from these passages is because she knew the Old Testament, I really believe she probably had heard sometime in her life the chapter in Isaiah, Isaiah 15, that in our English Bibles often have a heading that says the suffering servant. And in there it's foreshadowing the Messiah, the coming Messiah in several hundred years, that this Messiah would come and some of the words in that chapter are these he will be despised and rejected he will be pierced for our transgressions oppressed and afflicted led like a lamb to slaughter my my assumption is mary had heard these and yet, she had the faith in the Lord when He told her that she was going to be the mother of the Messiah, and she had an inkling of what might happen. I'm not saying she knew the whole story by any stretch of the imagination, but she had an inkling, I believe. And yet, she had the heart to say, "Lord, I am your servant. Be it unto me as you have said, without fail." For me at Easter. Um, Whenever I read the crucifixion story or the cantata, which is always so hard for me because it's video, you know, you see a video of it all. But when I see Jesus Christ hanging on that cross, knowing the lashes that he has had to endure, the skin pulled off of his body, and he hanging there in agony. And you read in John, the Gospel of John, his mom is sitting there watching. That's the same woman who said, I am your servant. Be done to me as you have said. Would you and I do the same thing? Well, the one thing about servanthood that I, or the one character trait of Mary that I'd really like to focus on is is her servant's heart. And it's so contrary, being a servant is such a contrary thought to our culture you know, if you're a servant, you're someone that's sort of in low esteem, it's not highly held in any way. A servant is someone who does things that you don't wanna do, frankly, right? And we certainly don't uphold someone who, who is a servant. And so um, if we can just take a moment and watch this short video. have a very high need for approval and for ego boosts. In fact, probably the reason they chose to go into that field is because they have that applause hunger. Psychologist Barbara Greenberg wonders if we're breeding a selfie nation. Twitter even devotes a day to it, hashtag selfie Saturday. And Facebook and Instagram may all be contributing to a generation of self-absorbed, self-promoting, self-involved over-sharers. of yourself, the message is, look at me, look at me, admire me. And the message is also, vote for me, give me approval. Well, I think it's fair to say the, the, the age of adulthood has, has backed up to about age 26. So we don't even see people thinking of themselves as adults in the traditional sense until fairly late. I think it's kind of com- competitive and like a popularity issue too. It's not bad, but like I feel like it could hurt people's feelings. Like It's really kind of like who can post more photos and more. Like it's who has more friends, yeah. who has more likes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But does that make us a selfish culture, do you think? Or what does that say about us? I think it's also just uh, a fun thing you can do with your friends. So this really is what our culture is, is teaching us. And it sort of... Um, pushing us toward is this whole idea of however you need to get to the top whoever needs to be pushed out of the way that's just sort of par for the course because we all want to be at the top and yet jesus says i want you to live your life differently than that jesus came to serve not to be served so that's the person we want to be emulating the servant that came and died on the cross for us, and he's asking us to live our lives differently than the world. So this verse that um, our deacon read to us this morning is from Romans 12. It says, therefore I urge you brothers in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. I believe that here Paul is probably reminding his hearers about the Old Testament structure when people would bring their animals, their unblemished lamb or dove or goat or, or calf to the priest to be slaughtered, to make atonement for them because of their sin. Now we don't need to do that anymore because we have Jesus, the perfect lamb who died on the cross for us and shed his blood for us. But but Paul is saying here, what God wants us to do is to live our life as a sacrifice. To be living sacrifices means to be people who are constantly, for the time that we're here, on the short time that we're here on this earth, to be living a life for other people. And doing a sacrifice is something that's hard. If you remember the New Testament story about the, the lady who gave just a penny in the treasury, God said, wow, she gave so much. Oh, what a wonderful woman she was. So blessed. She's so blessed and faithful. And then the rich man came and gave tons of money. And God said, it really doesn't count for anything because you have a bank full of money here. It was no sacrifice. And so God is telling us to live our lives as a living sacrifice, The one place I really see this, and maybe this is just the Lord's conviction in my own life, that's really important to me, is in marriage. And I think so often, as you all know, marriages in the United States, among Christians and non-Christians alike, are totally disintegrating. And I really believe, in part, the, the reason why that is, is we get married and things seem really good. You know, gosh, it's just the person I've been wanting to to be with, and this is really great. And as time passes, we begin to see the, the little quirks in them that start to irritate us, right? And so, you know, it might be, well, I really didn't think he was such a slob. You know, and gosh, he's leaving, what a mess around the house. And, I was kind of expecting him to do some cleaning. You know, he never vacuums. He's the one making the mess. He doesn't do the dishes. And I really thought I'd get a bouquet of flowers once in a while. Right? And what is that? That's all me. What is it not for me? And that's exactly where Satan wants to get us. He wants us to focus on us. What am I not getting because he knows when we start doing that, it's just this terrible cycle. And we start saying, well, forget it. He's clearly the wrong decision. I made the wrong decision. Forget it. I'm out of here. And then everything falls apart. And the amazing thing about marriage is that when we are married, especially if you have children, there's so many tendrils of, of marriage. So there's children and aunts and uncles and all their friends and grandparents, and everyone's firmly trying to fit on this foundation that they're hoping is going to stick together. And if we are not serving each other as the Lord calls us to serve, as Christ served the church, served us, if we're not doing that and our marriage falls apart, look at the mess it leaves behind. The lives that it's really damaged in the process. And so my encouragement to us, for those of you who are married, is how can we serve each other in your marriage? If you can challenge yourself to stop thinking about what I'm not getting out of my marriage, as I do too often, but instead saying, how can I serve Dan? What, what ways in my marriage would be helpful for him? And for all of us, it's going to be very, very different. But in the process, what it's doing is we're putting ourselves second. You know, the world says, be first. You deserve it. You're worth it. Whatever you want, you need to be happy. God doesn't say that. He says, serve. Serve one another. So get me out of the picture. How can I serve my spouse? And you know, if you've been married for very long, you know exactly how you can serve your spouse. Stop thinking about ourselves for a while. And think about each other. My guess is, is that if you both wake up in the morning and say, Lord, help me to enable me to serve my spouse the way you desire me to, and you're both doing it, your marriage is going to be so much more harmonious so much more joyful, and certainly, as Scripture tells us, it's going to be a pleasing and holy act to the Lord because you're giving yourself as a living sacrifice to the Lord as Jesus did for us. So I guess then it would, our question would be, how would your life look different if you were always willing to become second? For some of you, it would be less time on the computer less time playing video games, more time just hanging out with your wife or your husband. Maybe it means giving up your workout schedule a bit because it takes you away from home too much. Maybe it's backing down a little bit at work in some way. And are you willing to do that? Are you willing to make those changes in your life? And in any way, whether it's your marriage or not, in work, in relationships outside of your marriage, whatever it is, if we all began to really serve each other the way the Lord calls us to serve, (laughs) it would be a, a much more harmonious place, as the Lord has taught us. And so my prayer for us would be that we would become more like people like Mary, that even when the Lord calls us to do something really difficult, something that's really outside of our comfort zone that we would be able to say like Mary did I am the Lord's servant be it unto me as you have said let's pray oh Lord we thank you for these amazing people in scripture that help us they refine us and hone us and teach us new things. I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be open to any of your conviction right now if we need to be convicted. I pray, Lord, that you would challenge us to be more like Jesus, being servants to each other. And by doing that, we'd be holy and pleasing in your sight. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.